Biggest question of the day. What do we start with? Woo, do we have a lot to talk about on this episode of Edge of Your Seat Podcast? Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA championship. University of Texas and University of Oklahoma football teams. Well, the whole school would have to move conferences, but mainly football, trying to back out of the Pac-12 and join the SEC. We have Bring It Back with Jefferson Airplane's Serialistic Pillow as we break down the Rolling Stone magazine's top 500 albums of all time list. Bobby Bowden is sick. We have not talked about college players being able to make money now. And Space Jam is out, and we saw that. Space Jam, the new legacy with LeBron James and the Looney Tune squad. And if that wasn't enough topics to talk about, we have our guest, Joe Pikars, formerly the boys basketball coach of Indian Creek. He had joined us before. I had heard that he was leaving, actually seen it on Twitter, headed off to the Burbs, Aurora, to coach Marmion Academy. Great opportunity for him. Different type of basketball, different things, different lessons, closer to home. Lots of positives about the move for him. Yes, it is disappointing for us who follow Indian Creek basketball and all the success that Joe Picars has had there in the last 15 years as he was a coach for that long. Quite a storied career at Indian Creek. But he's leaving it behind for a better opportunity. Definitely wish him the best. Know he's going to knock it out of the park there. We had to have him on. Wanted to know why he made the move. What was the reasons behind the decision? And to hear him talk about his time at Indian Creek and how much he loved it. So, had to have him on. He's on this episode. Definitely excited to share our conversation with you on Edge of Your Seat Podcast. Plus, we have to give a shout out to friend of Edge of Your Seat Podcast, Colton Quagliano. Made his college decision a little late in the game. Like August usually starts school. It's July 23rd. He made the decision, at least on Twitter, a couple days ago, going to Illinois Community College to play baseball and get some education. Great kid. Awesome guest of the show. Did everything for Anawan Weathersfield. Now he's going to do the same thing in college. Good for him. Good for everybody that has made college selections. No, we don't talk about them all because there's so many kids doing their thing, going to schools that they deserve to go to. Schools should be lucky to have them. They should be lucky to have schools. And you know the world's a beautiful thing. Education, continuing your dream of playing sports, very, very, very important. So, whoa, there's a lot of things to talk about. Let's dive right into this. Edge of Your Seat Podcast, episode 187, with your host, that's me, Brandon Lachance. Let's do the plugs real quick. Catch us anywhere you want to on social media, especially Twitter, Edge of Your Seat P, Facebook, Edge of Your Seat Podcast. Don't know where you're listening to this episode, but you can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our website, rss.com backslash podcasts with an S, that's plural, backslash edge of your seat podcast. 
If you have any questions, suggestions, you want to be a guest, you know somebody that would be a good guest, you want to advertise with us, you want to voice your complaints about something I said, something a guest said, any squabble, qualm, joyous occasion, anything, send an email to edgeofyourseatpodcast at gmail.com. Shout out to Brian Cavelli, the mastermind behind the intro and outro beat for this very podcast. While you're listening to this podcast, you might be in your car. Hopefully it's clean. Don't want it to be dirty inside, outside. I mean, if it's outside, people might think you're filthy or why can't you clean your car? Or maybe you personally like, man, it's grimy, it's brown, it should be blue or red. Like, what is going on with my car? Maybe you just don't have time to clean it. You know, we all have jobs. We have kids, coaching responsibilities, community service responsibilities. The things that we could be doing are countless. Maybe washing a car isn't in the schedule, not in the daily planner. But it is for Mike's Pro Shop and Sales. Mike's Pro Shop and Sales located 204 South Spaulding Street, in Spring Valley, can do everything. They disinfect, they clean, they rust proof, fabric care. That is very important, especially if you have kids dropping candy and food behind the car seats, all over the seat. Gotta have fabric care. It's a full body shop at Mike's and they're now offering pickup and delivery service. Did I say Mike's can do it all? Because seriously, they can. Make your car Look amazing, spotless. Doesn't have to be a car, SUVs, trucks, whatever you need detailed. Mike's can do it. Contact them, 815-663-2060 or via email, mikesproshop204 at gmail.com to get your car scrubbed, rub-a-dubbed, just the way it deserves. We have to start with the NBA championship, right? Unfortunately, had some health conditions go on and I wasn't able to do a podcast the last couple days, but don't get it twisted. I was watching that game. The Bucks took it to the Suns. They didn't win by much. You know, it wasn't a blowout. No blowout by any means. But Milwaukee Bucks are the 2020-2021 champs battling COVID-19, battling injuries League-wide, the Bucks held on. They survived. Like, this was a battle of survival at this point. The Bucks were able to do it. Congrats to them. It was fun to watch, really. Giannis, man, he's the new superstar, right? What he was able to do in the finals, the Western Conference finals, he had one bad game or two bad games. I think it was just one. But put that team on his shoulders and did everything a superstar is supposed to do. If you were talking about how bad of a two-time MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo was before this NBA Finals, you should be hushed by now. The dude can ball. Does he have things he's not great at? Yeah, he struggles shooting free throws. Yeah, he's not a three-point shooter. Neither was Shaq. He's a Hall of Famer. He's got some rings. Four, to be exact. Giannis does a lot right. He hustles. He plays defense. He can score around the basket probably better than anybody right now. He's a monster. And 
He just loves the game. This has been talked about all over the place. Media outlets, your best friend, everybody. He stayed in Milwaukee. He didn't go form a super team. Not LeBron, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. He didn't do it. He stayed in Milwaukee, a mid-major team, and waited for them to build around him. They go and get Bobby Portis, who has become a star in Milwaukee. It stinks because I loved him as a Chicago Bull. Never thought they should have got rid of him. They should have got rid of Laurie Markkinen, that bum. Should have got rid of him. They didn't. They got rid of Bobby Portis and kept a sea of other bums. Portis plays with heart, and so does Giannis. So does Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, who's been there the same amount of time as Giannis, eight years. The post game made sure we knew that. Brooke Lopez, they needed a big guy to play defense and score, and he did. They brought in Pat Connaughton to shoot threes, and he did. Put the people in the places that they needed to all around Giannis, and they triumphed. First NBA title for the Bucks since 1971. They had a guy who was the MVP of the NBA that season and the MVP of the finals. No, his name was not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It was still Lou Alcindor. That is how long it has been since the Bucks won an NBA title. 50 years. Lou Alcindor won a title in 71. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar went to the NBA Finals with the Bucks in 1974, and they lost to the Boston Celtics. That was the last time Milwaukee had been to the Finals. Crazy. The Suns went in 1993, knocked off by the Bulls, still have not won a ring. Let's see if they can get back. Don't know what's going to happen with Chris Paul. Like to think that he might want to stay there. It's comfy weather. They got a good young base with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. They get a couple more pieces. They're right back in the hunt if they keep Chris Paul. If they don't, you know, it is what it is, right? But in game six of the NBA championship where Bucks took it, winning the series 4-2 and the NBA championship, Giannis, 50 points, 14 rebounds, five blocks. He snapped. He took his moment to show the world what kind of player he is, what kind of man he is, and he showed out. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. It was awesome to watch. For the Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul was the only one that showed up in my mind. 26 points, 5 assists. Devin Booker had 19 points. Yeah, that's cool. But he shot 8 of 22 from the field. And he was 0 of 7 from 3-point land. Ugh. DeAndre Ayton, 4 of 12 for 12 points. Jay Crowder and Campaign were the only two sons to hit at least two threes. Okay, they're the only two to hit two threes. Paul had one. Cam Johnson had one. They shot 6 of 25. Don't get it twisted. The Bucs didn't shoot any better. They were 6 of 27 from three. The defining factor in my mind of why the Milwaukee Bucks won this game and won the championship is because they beasted on the boards. Milwaukee out-rebounded the Phoenix Suns in game six. 53 to 37. 
That is insane. That is a wide gap between 53 and 37. They gobbled up all the boards. That's why they won. It was insane watching the crowds. 65,000 people outside the Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee watching this game. 17,000 inside. Whew, that is a lot of people. A lot of people. I know we're still kind of in this COVID-19 thing and cases are starting to spike up. So I don't know if it was a good idea, but it was an idea and it happened. And they were pumped. They were pumped to watch their team win this championship. It's kind of like the Chicago Cubs in 2016. Been so long since the Cubs were able to do it. When it happened, the joyous moment in a lot of people's lives in Illinois. And maybe even outside of Illinois. Cubs got a huge fan base. Same thing with Milwaukee. Maybe not the size of the fan base, but the Bucks fans deserved that ring and they showed out. That's how you how much fun it was to watch though. Yeah, maybe a couple times on this podcast and every other podcast since the playoffs have been going on. It has been a lot of fun watching these playoffs where you didn't know who was going to win. How many years in a row did we go where it was Golden State Warriors, Cleveland Cavaliers? We knew what the battle was going to be. Was it three straight years, I believe? Something like that. We knew who was going to be there. They were the two best teams. Hands down, nobody was beating them. We had no idea who was advancing in any round. As soon as the playoff started, everybody threw their hands up. Like, hey, we're going to bet because we like to bet. We're going to make picks because we're humans and we make picks. But nobody really knew. Nobody had a guess. In the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee was probably being picked by some. But so was Brooklyn. So was Philadelphia. And honestly, when they got deeper in the playoffs, people were picking Atlanta Hawks. In the West, when the playoffs started, you're telling me that you thought Phoenix was going to beat Utah, even though they were banged up, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Denver Nuggets? No, you really didn't. You did not think that they were going to do that. And they did, and they got there. But it was cool just to see things progress, and you had no idea what was going to happen. Speaking of having no idea, we were talking about what was going to happen. This is like what's going on. We have no idea what's going on in college football right now. Texas and Oklahoma want to dip out from the Pac-12 and go to the SEC. What? Why? You kind of got it made in the Big 12. You go to SEC, you are going to get stomped like you have been. How many bowls have you been to in the last 20 years? How many championships have you won that SEC hasn't won. Alabama, Florida, just to name a couple, year in, year out, are there. Clemson, Auburn, you're not messing with them. You might not even be messing with South Carolina or Arkansas. I don't think you're good enough to go into the SEC. I mean, maybe if you had switched with a couple other programs, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. should stay where you're at. Plus, I looked at some records. Texas has kind of been whooped by SEC in the last couple of years anytime they meet up with them. Don't think it's a good move for Texas. Don't think it's a good move for Oklahoma. Stay where you're at. And do we really need a platonic shift in the college football world right now? Do we really need to separate everybody 
Even more? No. No. Just leave it how it is. They did not leave it how it was in terms of money and college players. This is cool on a level, and it's kind of okay what's going to happen on a level. Yes, you deserved to get paid if who you're playing for is making millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. These schools are racking in the money from athletics and from what these players, student athletes, who are really players, I mean the, the big names, the guys that really are there just to play sports, are really pros. But they have to play because there's rules saying, hey, you got to play in college before you can go to the NBA or the NFL. But we really know what they are. They're professional athletes. That's what they do. That is their life. So they deserve to get paid. True. Probably should have been getting paid a long time ago. On the other side of the spectrum, what are these 18, 19, 20-year-old dudes or females going to do with this money? Are they all going to put it away to their mom? Buy a house? Buy them nice cars to get around? Or are they going to blow it? Get involved in stuff that they shouldn't. Spend it on fast food all the time on a Friday, Thursday after a game. And then they're putting on weight. I didn't trust myself with $20 at 17. I don't know if I trust myself with $20 now. No, I'm just kidding. A little, little better, a little better. Point being, thousands and thousands and thousands of 18, 19, 20-year-olds are going to get paid tons of money. There's going to be some of these athletes that are going to get hundreds of thousands of dollars. They can't even go to the bar yet, legally. They might be away from home, and they got a card, a debit card, and can do whatever they want to with this money. How are you going to channel that? What happens if these kids get into drugs or drinking and blow everything, their money, their future, their career, everything because you started paying them money at a very, very young age and they didn't know how to deal with it. That could be a thing. That could totally be a thing. Hope it's not. I hope the money goes to where it's supposed to help your mom out who put you through basketball and football camps and kept your head where it should be instead of letting you get in trouble and join a gang, be in juvenile prison, all that other stuff. Buy mama a house. Buy daddy a new truck. Cool. But are you going to blow it? Are you going to act like a fool? Colleges are going to have to step up. Parents, coaches are all going to have to step up to try to mentor these kids with this newfound money. Because let's face it, a lot of them are coming from nothing. They were blessed with athletic ability, but they're coming from broken homes, broken communities, and have been poor most of their life. Definitely have to watch this one and see what happens. Because anything can happen. Money, youth, craziness. Gonna be some crazy stories out of this. Wait till this is a ESPN 30 for 30. Or maybe a guest on Edge of Your Seat podcast. I already told you it's July. It's July 23rd. It's hot outside. But this is great weather to fix up your home. You see something that might need replaced. Fixed. You want it to look nicer. Might not be broken or anything, but you just want to change. A color scheme. A pattern change. You want new. You want renovated. You want awesomeness. 
Olsen Construction can do exactly that for you. Brothers Keith Milas and Tommy Olsen will use their more than 10 years of experience to take care of your home renovations from start to finish with your thoughts and opinions taken with every step of the journey. The licensed and insured family owned and operated company prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty on any job. Whether it be roofing, siding, windows, doors, stairs, deck designs, floors and tiling, garage additions, room additions, or full remodels. Olsen Construction can legit do it all. For a free estimate, call Olsen Construction at 815-910-5982. Check out the Olsen Construction LLC page on Facebook or send an email to olsenconstruction19 at gmail.com. Just noticed there was something that I wanted to add into the college football little section we had there. Thoughts with Bobby Bowden, longtime head coach of Florida State University football. Means a lot to a lot of people when it comes to college football, the game of football, Florida, and what he was able to do there. Diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He's 91 years old and said, hey, I don't need to fight anymore. I'm okay with it. It's my time. I'm going to go out. I respect it. Respect what the man did in football, sports. He will be missed. He'll be loved. But he'll also be remembered as a dynamic human being that did a lot of awesomeness for college football, for young men all across the country that came to Florida State University, and just life in general. Enjoy your life while you're still here. Thank you for everything that you did. Interesting segue to Space Jam, but here we are. Space Jam, a new legacy, came out the 16th of July. I caught it as quickly as I could. I mean, it's Space Jam. I'm not a huge LeBron James guy. I'm not a huge LeBron James hater. He is what he is. He's a fantastic basketball player. A specimen that comes around once every generation. That's who he is. He's going to go down as a top five basketball player of all time. Most people are going to put him as number two behind Michael Jordan. Some even one. There's some other guys that still fit in this talk. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar being one of them. Shaq, Kobe, Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Wilt Chamberlain. Just to mention some of the greats of the greats. Some. I'm not mentioning them all. So if I didn't say your favorite guy, or a guy that is a crazy icon and deserves to be in this conversation, I wasn't trying to list the conversation. Just a couple guys off the top of my head. So I watched this as what it is. A kid's movie. A Looney Tunes movie. A cartoon movie. Four kids. It's not us basketball people talking about who's the greatest basketball player ever and comparing Michael Jordan and LeBron James. That's really not what this was. It was hard not to do, don't get me wrong, going into it. But as I'm sitting down watching it, I'm like, okay, this is a cartoon. It's a basketball player. It's Looney Tunes. Supposed to be funny. Supposed to have bad lines. Supposed to have moments you're like, what is that? If you're older than 13, you're just like, ugh. And then you have the emotional moments. You have the lessons. LeBron James and his son going back and forth. LeBron trying to be a dad. The kid trying to be a kid. 
trying to be, grow up. It really wasn't bad. It was what you should expect from a movie called Space Jam, A New Legacy, with Bugs Bunny on the cover. I'm like, yeah, it was what it was. I wasn't expecting a blockbuster hit that was going to win a million awards. I went in thinking it was going to be a blockbuster hit that entertained people, made kids laugh. That's what it is. Is LeBron James a good actor? No, not by any means. Was Michael Jordan a good actor? No, not by any means. They're basketball players. Two of the best to ever do it. They're not actors. But it was cool to have them in a movie about basketball with cartoons. Just like the original Space Jam was, this is the same for a new generation. The original Space Jam came out when I was like nine years old. That is the age group that that's meant for. This Space Jam is the same thing. The only difference is, is us 35, 40 year olds were around when the first one came out. And we have this discussion of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, who is better? I ask it all the time in one of our games, Hot Potato. Who do you like better, Michael Jordan, LeBron James? But this isn't that place to debate that. Why are we debating Michael Jordan, LeBron James in a movie, a kid's movie? That's not the right spot. Did he probably do it? LeBron James get in the movie because Michael Jordan did it? Maybe. But they were also talking about this five years ago. So he probably didn't want to do it at a time because we would be doing this right now. What people are doing talking about the movie and him and Jordan and comparing it and, oh, it'll never be like the first one. That's probably why it took five years to get it done. Honestly, because he thought about it. He had to have. He knows what people are going to say. He's not an idiot. He's been living this basketball life forever, his entire career. So now he does a side project and it's going to be the same thing with the same guy. Oh, you're going to be like Michael Jordan. Again, I'm not either way with LeBron James, but the dude's got to get some credit, right? Fantastic basketball player, making money, does so many awesome things in life. Sets up colleges, donates money, helps out poor people, stands up for causes. And we're degrading him, downplaying him because he's in a movie that another former basketball player was in with cartoon characters. That's crazy. So I took it as a cartoon and it was that. It was cool. It had its bad moments. It had its great moments. It was okay. And I love Don Cheadle, by the way. I think he was the right person to play that role. As A.G. Rhythm. I like that name, too. It was cool. Would I watch it again? Maybe. Am I going to watch it? Probably five times. No. Probably not going to watch it five times. Unless the nephews come over, they want to check it out. Okay. That's it. But it was worth watching, and I'm not going to kill it because of the LeBron-Michael Jordan deal. I'm not. It was a kid's movie. Take it for that. I've already said that about five times. That's how I feel. Watch it. Let me know what you think. Send an email. Edgeofyourseatpodcast at gmail.com Or hit us up, social media. Twitter, Edge of Your Seat P. Facebook, Edge of Your Seat Podcast. All right, enough about Michael, LeBron, Space Jam, Bugs Bunny. Go check it out if you haven't. It's worth a watch, at least one. Do it. But it's time for us, Edge of Your Seat Podcast, to get to our main event. 
least in the terms of segments on this podcast and things we like to do that are different than sports. Sports podcasts, but we like other things too, you know? Especially music. We have been breaking down the Rolling Stone magazine's top 500 albums of all time list. Originally came out in 2003. They redid it a couple times, including in September of 2020. We hit you with a poll With the next four of the list, we started at 500. We are down to the 470s. This poll had at 472 with SZA with CTRL, a.k.a. Control. 471, Jefferson Airplane, Serialistic Pillow. 470 was Juvenile with 400 Degrees. And at 469 was Manu Chow with Clandestino. SZA 2017 album, Jefferson Airplane 1967, Juvenile 1998, Manu Chow also 1998. The winner, hands down, wasn't even close, was Jefferson Airplane, Serialistic Pillow. I think they beat Juvenile by like 10 or 15 votes. SZA and Manu were nowhere even in consideration. Before we jump into this, have to mention... Who this awesome segment of Bring It Back is brought to you by Shimmer Mendota Ford, a community dealership that is here for you. So Jefferson Airplane, Serialistic Pillow at 471. My thoughts real quick before we break down the band and the album and then give rankings of the tracks. It was cool. Like I wanted to do this list of albums, this Rolling Stone magazine top 500, to listen to things that I didn't listen to. I knew who Jefferson Airplane was, but didn't know anything about him. The crazy thing is, is I only knew of two songs, didn't even know that they were their songs, until I listened to this album, and I'm like, oh yeah, I know that song, oh yeah, I know that song, and it just happened to be their two biggest songs of their careers. But that's it, that's all I knew. So it was cool to listen to something from 1967 where I was negative 18 years old. A lot of us were negative something years old. And the people that weren't negative years old and were alive, what a different kind of music this is compared to anything now. So it was cool to go back and check it out. There were songs I didn't like. There were songs that I loved. The guitar riffs in this are amazing. Definitely amazing. The two vocalists, a guy and a woman, we'll break down everybody in just a second. Fantastic voices. It was cool listening to them. Like I wanted to hear what they had to say. Captivating almost. That's what I wanted from this list to break this down and to share it with you so you can check it out and do the same thing. That's what we're doing at Bring It Back. Jefferson Airplane started in 1965. The group, the band that was for this album, Serialistic Pillow, so 1966, October of 1966 to February of 1970. This included Marty Ballin, lead vocals, died in 2018 at 76 years old. Grace Slick, also vocals, played the recorder and a lot of tracks on this album. Her voice is amazing. Marty's voice is amazing. She is still alive at 81 years old. Paul Kantner, guitar, also vocals. Man, what he could do, whew, 
as a musician will forever be remembered. Man, that dude was really talented. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2016 at the age of 74. Jorma Konkinen, lead guitar, also did vocals. He's alive, 80 years old. He is amazing. Man, that dude can get down on the guitar for sure. Jack Cassidy on the bass. He is alive at 77. And Spencer Dryden, the drummer. He passed away in 2005 at the age of 66. So those were the six main people on this album, Serialistic Pillow, which is the second album from Jefferson Airplane. Their first album came out before the acquisitions of Grace Slick and Spencer Dryden. Those two added a lot. And as we break this down, we'll definitely talk about that. But as the band shifts and moves, because they were around from 65 to 73, came back around in 89, then again in 1996. So different times, different groups, people came, people left. There was eight others that were in this band besides the six that I said. And three or four of them left between the first album and the second album. So a lot of movement, but I think that's what you did in bands back then, especially that big. Six people to keep you all together. That's got to be tough, especially in that era. Acid, LSD, cocaine, alcohol, weed. And weed sounds like nothing compared to everything else on this list of narcotics that these guys are taking on a regular basis, like every day, every show, every practice, every everything. But that was the time frame there. It wasn't illegal. It was what you did. That was rock and roll. And that's what Jefferson Airplane is. Folk rock. They're pioneers of psychedelic rock. They're pioneers of that type of music. And it kind of starts with this album. Jefferson Airplane, originally from San Francisco, California. And man, they have a resume of all resumes. Like I said, pioneers of psychedelic rock. They headlined Woodstock in 1969. Were they the biggest band, the greatest? No, but they were a top billing for Woodstock. Quite the honor. Quite the honor because everybody, if you're a band with a name, was at Woodstock in 1969. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996. And in 2016, we're honored with the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Jefferson Airplane definitely means a lot to music. Some of the craziness that happened with Jefferson Airplane. Probably the main vocals with Grace Slick was Marty Ballin. He left in 1971. Jarma Kakinen and Jack Cassidy were buddy-buddy. They were kind of like a, a group, like a... A duo, Batman and Robin. So they left in 1971 and started a band called Hot Tuna. Then Slick, Kantner, and Dryden recruited new members and became Jefferson Starship, another band that you should know or be familiar with. They did that in 1974. Balin would later come and join them later on. So shifting parts in 1971. Influences for Jefferson Airplane. We're not quite to the Starship. I'm sure they're going to be on this list for a poll down the road, but right now we're at Jefferson Airplane. Influences 
the Beatles invasion in 1964. And you can hear some of the riffs and in some of the songs, really, really close to a Beatles song. The Birds, Simon and Garfunkel. What they try to do with Jefferson Airplane is mix folk music and rock music and find their sound. And they found it. It was kind of a popish, psychedelic folk rock music. Something that had never been done before. It was original in the 1960s. How it all started, actually, is Balin bought a pizza parlor and turned it into a music club called The Matrix. And as he opened this club and was getting people to come in and perform music, he was recruiting. He wanted to have a band. And that's how Jefferson Airplane was really started, formed, grouped together. As I mentioned before, they have eight albums. The first album was Jefferson Airplane Takes Off in 1966. It was a success, but nothing compared to Serialistic Pillow in 1967, put them on the map. It made them the icons that they are. And I believe it was because of Grace Slick. Her voice is crazy awesome. The way that she can change it, every single song that I heard on this album that she's on singing, she can manipulate it. She can make adjustments in her voice for a different sound, for something unique on every lyric, every syllable she can change even if it's the same word amazing talent and it was really awesome to hear her she was previously in a band called great society jefferson airplane had a singer who became pregnant and left the band because she wanted to raise her kid they grabbed grace slick from great society and she brings over the two biggest songs of jefferson airplane's career Somebody to Love and White Rabbit, the two songs that I was familiar with before even knowing who Jefferson Airplane is or checking out the album. She brought them over. She had wrote White Rabbit and her brother-in-law had written Somebody to Love. She brings them over. Jefferson Airplane turns them into mass success. But before we start talking about the songs in the album, few more things I want to jump in. I know I'm kind of jumping around here. I was just so excited to talk about this. Man, it was really cool. Jefferson Airplane is iconic and their music is iconic. And I really, really recommend you check out this album and their backstories. Balin left in 71 for a lot of reasons. I mean, why would you leave a successful band that is making great music? Alcohol, Slick and Cantor, former relationship. They even have a kid. Calkinen and Cassidy, they have their clique that I mentioned earlier. He's kind of like the odd man out. Then there's differences, creative, about how the sound should be. He wanted to keep writing love songs. Slick and Cantor wanted a more deeper, darker, explorative type of music. Then Slick gets in a near-fatal accident in 1971 because she's drag racing Jorma Calkinen. They're both going over 100 miles an hour. She runs into a bridge, just about kills herself. Then she becomes even more of an alcoholic. Most of the band members become cocaine addicts. Balin's like, you know what? I got a dip. Whew. Talk about a story of a band. But again, in the 60s and the 70s, that's kind of how it went. So this isn't like a never heard before narrative, but it's different. Definitely different. 
And honestly, after listening to the second album, I wonder what they do for the next six, since they had eight. Again, band members change and they do different things. But this sound was so unique and so special. I'm really curious to know what happened afterwards. Serialistic Pillow comes out February 1st, 1967. Somebody to Love and White Rabbit are the only two singles from the album. They had a couple that were going to be singles, but it never happened. Another little side note that was pretty cool is Spencer Dryden, the drummer, was the nephew of Charlie Chaplin. That's pretty cool. Got connects to comedy royalty. Okay, back to the songs. Somebody to Love reached number five on the charts and White Rabbit reached eight on the charts. Those are the only two songs in the history of Jefferson Airplane to reach the top 100. The album in general, Serialistic Pillow, number three on the billboard, went platinum selling one million records in the US. And it's their best album. Best album that they came out with, Jefferson Airplane. Some conspiracy? Why not throw in some conspiracy? Some controversy? Is Jerry Garcia of Grateful Dead was involved in the album. The conspiracy or the controversy is how much was he really involved? He's credited on the album, like the little copyrighted fine print. He's in there. But it was denied by the producer, Rick Gerard, that he wasn't, that he was not part of the album. But he plays guitar on two songs on Serialistic Pillow, and he rearranged Somebody to Love. So their top smash that was brought from another band was rearranged by the legend Jerry Garcia of Grateful Dead. So there's controversy of how much he was involved. How much did he rearrange? How much of the sound that was Jefferson Airplane was actually Jerry Garcia? Was he a producer? Was he a co-producer? Jordan McCarkinen said in an interview that Garcia was basically the producer back in the day. But then he writes an autobiography and said that, okay, Gerard was the producer and Jerry was a combination arranger, a musician, and sage counsel. So where did he really fit in? How much influence did Jerry Garcia really have? But whatever he did, he did a great job. Because, like I said, this is a platinum-selling album. Number three on the Billboard charts. When this Rolling Stone Top 500 Albums of All Time list came out in 2003, it was 146 on the list. Now it has dropped down to 471. But at one time, this was one of the 150 best albums of all time, according to Rolling Stone. I haven't cheated and looked ahead on the list to see the albums ahead. I don't want to do that. I kind of am rolling with the flow here in the polls. But this album is fantastic. At 471, these have to be crazy amazing albums to be ahead of this one. 17 songs, 58 minutes and 8 seconds is the track time. I'm only going to talk about 15. 16 and 17 are actually different versions of Somebody to Love and White Rabbit. So much of awesome songs, let's put them on again. That's what they did. So we'll go over the top 15 songs, break them down, then I'll give my ranking. Track one, She Has Funny Cars. It's upbeat, it's lively, 
The interchanging of the vocals of Balin and Slick on this song is incredible. They flow so well together. The difference of their voices and how it intersects, crisscrosses, meshes together is absolutely fantastic. The guitar rift, also awesome. Fantastic. Tremendous. All those huge adjectives that mean, yeah, man, that's great. Especially in 1967. Yeah, bro, that's totally cool. It was, and I sounded like an idiot there. But the guitar, Balin and Slick, the upbeat tempo of She Has Funny Cars is amazing. The song itself, the lyrics, is about American society, materialism, greed. Like, why are we doing this to us, to each other? Track two, Somebody to Love. You've heard this. You have had to have heard this. If you've ever had a classic rock station on, if your grandparents were ever playing music, they liked rock and roll, this song is awesome. It's catchy. It has been stuck in my head for probably about a week and a half. I've listened to this song alone tons of times. It's on a playlist. It's great. It's absolutely a great song. It's about a relationship. You got to love. But is it quick love? Is it desperation love? Is it true love? It's kind of, you got to depict for yourself. And you see that a lot in this album. It's like, okay, here's the basis. And then you decide where your mind wants to go of these lyrics. Is it about a one night stand kind of love? Is it about feel love? Is it about emotional love and your heart being attached? All kinds of different things here. Slick's voice in this, she just howls and it's epically fantastic. Again, she adjusts her voice, the unique sound. This song is a true, true, true highlight of that. Number three, my best friend, Folkish, totally tell the 1960s. It's about your partner being your best friend. You get to know him better and then you become closer. You become a love instead of a friend. Four is today. Love the harmony. The melody is awesome. Makes me feel like I'm in 1960. Long hair, big frame glasses, earthy toned clothes, bell bottoms, a peace sign on a denim jacket. It made me feel like I was there. It's a love song. In the first stanza, it's talking about, hey, he's crazy in love. The second is the partner saying, hey, things have changed. You don't really act like you used to be. So he's pleading his love. And then the third stanza is like, hey, I'm going to continue pleading my love. I love you so much. It's today. Let's make today about us. Five, coming back to me. It's a soundtrack of seven different movies. Not any movies that really stand out, blockbusters, but in seven different movies, this track is on. Definitely a folk song. Jerry Garcia played the guitar on this. It's slow, kind of like a ballad. And it's kind of like you're in a dream. You're wishing. A lot of nature here. Mountains and sunsets. And I'm guessing they were high. Pretty sure they were on acid when they're writing the song. But it's cool. It's a good song. Well, it was okay. Not one of my favorites, but it was okay. Six. Three-fifths of a mile in ten seconds. It's upbeat. The tambourine is hard in this, especially in the beginning. And it's a getaway song where nothing matters. We want to leave. 
Let's go. Do what we want. Pretty sure drugs are involved in this one. And it's got a Cali vibe. Like you feel like you're on the waves. Like this is San Francisco sound. And there's a couple guitar riffs in this that blew me away. Seven, DCBA25. DCBA are the chords that were played in the song, which was a cool label, a cool title, because it was unique. It's creative. Like, hey, I'm going to play DCBA. I'm going to make that the title. Also means there wasn't much behind the song except DCBA. In a quote from Jefferson Airplane, it is LSD inspired. But it's got a journey vibe to it, like you're traveling, jamming out. It's totally a beach song in the 60s. Some more nature. Suns. Water. Yeah, LSD. Eight, how do you feel? Has a mamas and papas, a little less disco version of ABBA. And it's about a stunning girl catching your attention. And being in awe and just watching and just wanting to be with that person. Number nine, Embryonic Journey is an instrumental. It is a jam session from Jarma Konkinen. And it is fantastic. It is one minute and 52 seconds of just jamming. Just jamming. I listen to this a lot too. I was at the gym yesterday on the elliptical, just jamming out to Embryonic Journey in 2021. 10 is White Rabbit. Gray Slick's voice, again, just amazing. And the music behind it, it's like a marching band. Like just parading into war almost. Which was kind of her style. And her voice fits it. The lyrics themselves, it's kind of like a reference to Alice in Wonderland. Okay, it's totally a reference to Alice in Wonderland. Alice is mentioned. The Queen of Hearts is mentioned. The Caterpillar smoking a hookah. Lots of Alice in Wonderland in this. In an interview, Grace Slick even said, this is supposed to slap parents who read their kids these novels because they wonder why they're doing drugs. And she also said she was on acid while she did this song, while she wrote it. So we have Alice in Wonderland, acid, trying to show parents like, hey, this is what books like this are doing. Interesting. 11, Plastic Fantastic Lover. No, it is not about a sex doll. The twangy rock song is actually about a stereo system. Yeah, it's about how they love music and want to jam out. 12, In the Morning. Heavy blues. This is a blues track. Harmonica everywhere. It just didn't feel right to the rest of the album. It's cool to throw in something different, but blues on this folk album just... I don't know. It just didn't hit home for me. And it kind of, I don't know, wasn't, wasn't my vibe. The piano in it was cool. And the meaning of the song, you could take it a million different ways. You'd have to listen to it to figure out which way you want to take it. 13 is JPP Mixstep B Blues. Way different than the name. It is not blues whatsoever. Another folkish, rockish tune. And it's about a friend who passed... You're still thinking about them. A line in the song, even though you might be in another land, I know I am with you forever, my friend. That's towards the end of the song, the rest of the song leading up to that moment. 14, go to her, 
fast paced. In my mind, I was picturing the 60s. Like you'd see those black and white videos of people with the beehives and the dresses with the crocheted patterns on them just dancing around. That's what you picture with this song. It's like Footloose in 1960. It's like a party song. And it's exactly what the title says. Go to her. Be with her. Lay with her. Love her. 15 is Come Back Baby. Starts with a guitar shredding. And that guitar shreds. It's amazing. It's a blues track again. A little less blues than the other one. But I didn't like the meaning of the song really. Baby, please don't go. I want you to come back. Like just begging and pleading again. This was definitely the Marty Balin love songs that we were talking about here. This was totally one. Just didn't really like the half blues. I would rather hear the blues blues, even if I think it doesn't fit, than fake blues. And that's kind of what this was to me. That's the breakdown. Let's do the rankings of the tracks. Somebody to Love, obviously number one. Fantastic song. Amazing Listen to it all the time in the last two weeks and probably will for a little bit now. It's probably stuck in my head. Number two is Embryonic Journey. Even though it's an instrumental, it is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Guitars, man, they get me sometimes and that one definitely did. Three is She Has Funny Cars. I like the upbeat version of it. Very cool. Four, White Rabbit. Who doesn't like listening to a song about Alice in Wonderland. Five was three fifths of a mile in 10 seconds. Upbeat, the tambourine got me. And like I said, I like getaway songs. It seems like every artist that we've went over these albums for this list, Rolling Stones list, has at least one getaway song. Cheryl Crow did. Miranda Lambert had many of them. Lady Gaga. Everybody has a getaway song. This was their version, and it was cool. Six, today. The harmony was awesome. The melody, I liked the theme behind the song, too. Because relationships can change with a snap of your finger, and it seemed like this one was in this song. Seven, DCBA. It was catchy. I liked the title of it, and it had a good vibe. 8. JPP Mixtep B Blues. Kind of the same way. Had a cool vibe. And, you know, we've all lost somebody. A close friend. You know, a family member that we looked at as a brother or a sister. And when you lose those people, you need music to cope. And at this time, I could feel that this was a song that you coped to. 9. Plastic Fantastic Lover. Really, really interesting title for a song about a stereo system. 12. In the morning. This is the blues one. Still don't feel like it vibes, but I like blues and it was cool. 11, how do you feel? Just a little too old for me. Got that old, like I said, mama's and papa's vibe. Just old, but not a bad song. 12, go to her. The lyrics were like three lines. Music, three lines, three lines. Just wasn't really substance. Go to her. Lay with her, love her, like that was the lyrics. 13, coming back to me. The guitar was cool. Of course, it was Jerry Garcia, but a little too folkish for my touch, for my taste. 
14, my best friend. Yeah, probably the same thing. A little folkish, little 1960s vibe, a little before my time. Really wasn't feeling it. And 15, the last track, Come Back Baby, the bluesish, fakish, just too many things going on at one time. Didn't like it. Overall, great album. I liked it a lot. A couple songs I didn't like. But in general, an amazing album deserves to be on this list. And I can understand why it's Jefferson Airplane's best album ever. Bring It Back was brought to you by Shimmer Mendota Ford. Mendota Ford is a community dealership dedicated to being community first. After a miserable 2020, in every sense of the term, Mendota Shimmer Ford wants to make, keep, retain 2021 as amazing as possible with style, comfort, and great deals. There are a bazillion options at Shimmer Mendota Ford as it has a huge selection of new and used vehicles on the lot and even more on the website www.mendotaford.com. Whether you shop online or at Shimmer Mendota Ford located just south of Mendota on Highway 251, manager Ski Hartman and his associates, Jason Hintz and Doug Safranik will use their expertise and understanding of the vehicle you're looking for to help you roll through 2021 just the way you want. Call 815-539-9314 for all vehicle inquiries at Shimmer Mendota Ford. Well, that's it for the intro. A little longer one, but we had so many things we wanted to talk about. Like I said, I didn't even know which order to put it in because there were so many amazing, cool things to talk about on this episode. Enjoy Joe Picars. What a great guy. He's our guest. Was with Indian Creek. Now going to Marmion Academy in Aurora. Such a great guy. Was a triple A pitcher doing great things for sports everywhere he goes. Great chat. Know you're going to love it too. We will be back real soon with another episode of Edge of Your Seat Podcast. Until then, peace. It's always good to have a return guest. This one, always a pleasure speaking with him. I am talking about boys basketball coach Joe Picars. What's going on, Joe? Nothing much, Brand. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Definitely. Enjoy talking to you last time, but it was kind of a, you know, a little different scenario. We were, uh, was it state tournament or like right before the COVID happened? Yeah, it was right. It was right as the, uh, state tournament. We were in the middle of our state tournament run and, and we did the podcast. It was myself and Cooper Larson and we were in the middle of our, uh, historic season. And I, I think who knew just a few weeks later that, uh, that things would be changing forever. I mean, it's, it's just crazy to think about. And you two were the kind of the first people I thought about because I remember our conversation. You guys are right there along with uh, Roanoke Benson coach Abe Zeller. I had him on around the same time and both were in state tournaments and then, you know, things happened. Oh, I know. Hey, you know, we've talked about this many times and have I've had many people ask me about, you know, how, how that ended with us losing in the super sectional and, and winding up 35 and one and then. You know the the whole state finals being canceled, and a lot of people would always ask, "What did that feel like?" And in some ways, it gave us closure by losing that last game because we wouldn't have gotten to state finals anyway. So, um, we, you know, we've had a lot of time to think about that, and, and I think I think we all we all agree. But man, 
was yesterday, but it also seems like it was 10 years ago <laughs> with all the things that have happened since then. You guys went on a crazy awesome run. Obviously, you just said 35-1, and one, and talking to you during that time, the excitement level just around Indian Creek basketball, it was through the coaches, through the players, and even fans. Like, I live in Mendota, and people are asking me, because obviously they know I pay attention to these things, but they're like, hey, what's going on with Indian Creek? How are they doing? Are they still undefeated? Like, people were into Indian Creek basketball. Yeah, we, we caught the attention of, uh, of everybody. Indian Creek has such a great community and community involvement, and there were great kids on that team who were so easy to root for, and you wanted to succeed. And, and you know, when you start to have that undefeated record and you start getting that number one team in the state in front of you, more people take notice. And, and as people were watching us play, they, they realized that, you know, this is a team that, that works hard, that plays a fun style, and it just blew up, to be honest. And, and I give those kids a lot of credit because they were asked to do a lot that season and there were a lot of people that were looking for them to give back either in the community or within the schools or or many different things and they had great heads the entire time and just kept kept trucking along and it's going to be a great experience for them and it was a great experience for me something that that we can always look back on and something that we did together as a community and, and we'll always have that connection no matter you know me being somewhere else and with them now going off into college we always have that season that that we can come back to Kind of elaborating on that, small towns, small schools, you know, if they have a team like this, you look at Ohio, Illinois, when they were one of the best teams that anybody had seen in the the late 80s, I believe, and then you have, you know, another one, Indian Creek, DePue has had some really, really awesome teams, and they last a year or two, and then, you know, you go back through the cycle waiting for that other special group. This special group that you were coaching, did they realize, like, hey, this may not happen for a very, very long time and enjoy the moment and, you know, do the best for the school. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. We've had a really good run at Indian Creek where we've had a long run of really, really successful teams. And I think going into that 1920 season, we expected this team to be good. Did anybody think we were going to be the number one team in the state and, and go 35-1? and one? I don't think anybody thought that. But what happened and what changed is those kids started to put in a lot of extra work. And those kids decided that they were going to do something special. And when you have a group that is willing to do that and willing to put in that extra extra effort and that extra work, you get that. And when, when you're at a small school, it just, the, the vibe in the school, the vibe in the community is, is something that just cannot be recreated. And you just hope, you hope that any high school kid one day gets to experience that because I used to always remind them that as we were going through it that you are getting an experience that 99.9% of high school kids do not get. So make sure you enjoy it because this is you are not getting a normal high school experience right now with all the attention you're getting. And I, and I think they, they, they did a really nice job of keeping their heads about that. Definitely. I went to Mendota, and we always had really good players. I think my junior year, our star, Doug Safranik, was player of the year in this area. Always had good players, but we never won a regional, ever. And it's hard. I think people forget how hard it is to have postseason success. So much stuff has to go your way. Even in that 2019-20 season, in the postseason, we were losing in... The regional final, the sectional semifinal, and the sectional final. All those games, we were losing at some point. There's so many things 
have to go right and to have a successful season to have postseason success you can't take any regional sectionals anything that you win you cannot take them for granted as a coach because you know you know it's difficult and you know that those players they only get a certain amount of times to do it whereas a coach you get to keep coming back Good point. Sometimes you don't think about that. A coach is there year in and year out or less, you know, decides to resign or move on or something like that, where the players, they got four years and that's a wrap. That's it. Yeah, and I think about that a lot, that, that I get one or two years, you know, at the var- two years at the varsity level to give those kids that experience and want them to have that. And I want them to be able to look back and say that high school basketball, whether it's the wins, whether it's just the, the culture, the, the experience in general, was one of the highlights of their high school career. As a coaching staff, we do that. We are on the right track and we're doing good things. And, and then when you add you know, the 3501, that just you know, that makes, makes it even easier. And that's something that hardly anybody gets. That was probably better than the icing on the cake or the cherry on top. I mean, 3501, that's pretty spectacular. I know it got our community, myself included, through a lot of those long days during the pandemic when there was nothing going on and it looked like there was no sports happening anytime soon. And if you remember, most of those kids that were on that 35-1 and team were juniors. And, you know, they came back last year and we were ready to have another state final run in us. Um, and obviously that got canceled and there was no postseason this year. So we would, you know, get together and we would do virtual Zoom. We'd do watch parties of certain games and we would do different contests and different things. We used each other to help us get through some of those long days during the pandemic. You have mentioned the word community, obviously talking about Indian Creek. And I was kind of saddened. I saw a tweet saying that you were leaving not going to be there with the program anymore not gonna lie almost didn't quite shed a tear but almost it was uh, i mean it was an unbelievably difficult decision i i love indian creek i they i was there for 15 years as the head coach uh worked there full-time for 10 years have nothing but good things to say about everybody there the school the community the players you name it but I also, you know, had to take advantage of an opportunity that I thought could also help my family. And, you know, when Marmion came open, I know quite a few people who either work at Marmion Academy or had their sons go to Marmion Academy. And I I reached out to them right away and said, hey, tell me a little bit about Marmion. And everybody I've talked to has had nothing but great things to say about that school. You know, for those that don't know, I do not live in the Indian Creek community. I live about 50 miles from Indian Creek. So the opportunity, and I, you know, I have sons who are older. Uh, I have a 12-year-old who's going in the seventh grade. I have another one going in the fourth grade. You know, something I started to think about was, what am I going to do when they get into high school age and they're playing basketball? Am I going to be able to continue to coach at Indian Creek while they're playing for a different high school? So, so all those things played into it. Like I said, when the Marmion opportunity opened, and I've heard nothing but great things, and it reminded me especially with the close-knit community that Indian Creek has, a lot of that, because people would always come back and say, Marmion is so close-knit, and if, you, if you're part of the Marmion family, they're there for you, and they, they want to support you, and, and that was a huge selling point, and being with them this summer, it's absolutely been true, every part of it. Awesome. What city is Marmion Academy in again? It's in Aurora. Do you live in Aurora, or just in a burger no, around I- it? 
I live in Bartlett, so my commute went from 50 miles to 15, so quite the difference. <laughs> gotcha, that's kind of what I was going with to see how far the, the commute became. Yes, yes, so it, it lowered, it, it, is, it is a much shorter distance. <laughs> what are you going to be doing with Marmion Academy? I'll be working there full-time as well, and then obviously I'm the head, head varsity basketball coach there as well, and we had our summer, and I thought it was extremely successful. We had a great summer, uh, had a lot of really talented kids, and they're young too, and they are ready to take that next step. For those that don't know, Marmion is in the Chicago Catholic League, and the Chicago Catholic League is one of the best conferences in the state, no matter what class you're in. It is extremely competitive, and I think... These kids, from what I've noticed in the summer, they're ready to take that next step and they're ready to start competing in the Catholic League and to say that they are not only in one of the best conferences in the state, but they are ready to compete in one of the best conferences in the state and they're ready to compete for postseason success as well. And and that's that's been what I've been most excited about uh, since being there with them for the last month. You just mentioned classes. What class is Marmion Academy? They're class 3A. They're a 3A school. Um, it is an all-boys school. It's an all-boys private school. So there's about 525, 550 boys. But then with the multiplier, with it being just boys, it puts them at 3A. Gotcha. What are some of those other schools that you were talking about? I know the public leagues are packed with talent. So what are some of those other schools in there? Some of the top teams, you've got you've got DePaul Prep, you've got Loyola, you have St. Rita, you have some of the smaller ones that maybe some of the Indian Creek people and others would know is like Leo and Providence St. Mel. It's loaded. I mean, you St. Ignatius, you know, St. Lawrence. If you if you look at like the top 25 rankings in the Sun Times, you're going to see multiple, multiple you know teams every year. Fenwick is another one I forgot through the conference there. So all these teams are going to have solid, solid coaches, solid athletes, and they are used to winning. I seen St. Rita a couple years ago in a postseason game, and they were fast and talented. I was like, everybody on this team is going to the NBA. <laughs> That's what I thought right. when I was watching them. <laughs> yes. There's no nights off in the Catholic League. It doesn't matter who you're playing and where you're playing at. There is not a night off. That schedule, that Catholic League schedule, gets you ready for the postseason. So that is one of the things I'm looking forward to is the, the opportunity to compete in one of the best conferences in the state uh, against some of the best coaches in the state and take these hardworking Marmion kids who are ready to take the next step and, and, and give them that opportunity and let's let's see where we can take them. How was the reception when you got there? I mean, I don't know if they'd heard of you before being at Indian Creek and not really a burb of Chicago to, you know, now you're coaching them, spend a summer with them. How was the reception when you first got there and how is it now? It's been great. The parents have been great. The players have been great. The, the entire school has been great, and they've welcomed me in. And, and that was the biggest draws about Marmion is that everybody said that you will be welcomed in, and they are going to be a close, tight-knit community. Like I said, just like Indian Creek, it, it reminds me a lot, a lot of some of the things that we, we had at Indian Creek, and, and that was the biggest appeal. They have been great. Some of the coaches who were there the last couple of years are still back, and Really, really excited for, for some of the things that we're going to be able to do over at Marmion. So you move up a couple classes, <laughs> more competitive basketball. Not saying that 1A in Indian Creek didn't have competitive games, because I know that's not the case. Sure. Just at a different level, I believe. 
you're closer to home, you go from 50 miles to 15, and you got a full-time gig as a coach and a teacher. Yes. So it sounds like, you know, even though you left Indian Creek, there's a lot of wins in there. You're absolutely right, and it had to have been the perfect situation for me to want to leave Indian Creek because that's not something I actively wanted to do because, like I said, it's, they've been great to me. and My best friends still are at Indian Creek, but this was a situation after talking with my family and, like I said, talking to the other people that were associated with Marmion, something I could not pass up, an opportunity that, that I had to take advantage of. And like I said, through one month, it's been it's been great. I, I've really enjoyed it over there. Perfect. All right. I don't want to beat a dead horse. Well, we can move on. <laughs> uh, perfect. I still can't believe you're such a good basketball coach after you spent, I mean, I know you played other sports, but your whole life was pretty much wrapped around baseball, and now you're a great basketball coach. I still don't get how that works. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's, I, I always knew I wanted to be a basketball coach. Um, even though I was a baseball player. But I think when it comes to coaching, it doesn't matter what the sport is. It's about relating to people. It's about relating to kids. And it's about trying to get the best out of them and put them in the best possible position to succeed. So I think that transfers over into any sport. Yes, you need to know the X's and O's as a, as a coach. And the X's and O's are extremely important. But they are not as important as that relationship you build with those players. If they trust you and if they feel like you have their best interests at heart, they will do stuff on the basketball court, on the baseball field, the football field, whatever it may be, that they never knew that they could do. And it starts with that trust, and it starts with that relationship building. So while, yes, my playing experiences with baseball, I was very lucky to have a lot of outstanding coaches growing up. And I try to always take some of the things that they did and use them in my own coaching style. And the relationship building was the number one thing that so many co so many of the best coaches I had did and is the thing I've tried to transfer over into basketball as well. Definitely. And for the listeners who may have not heard the first time we spoke, you were a triple-A ball player, correct? Yeah, I played professional baseball in the Oakland A's system. So I played four years in their minor league system, including uh, the Oakland A's back when I played were... Uh, one of their affiliates was the Kane County Cougars, so I was able to play at home uh, in Geneva for, for the Cougars as well. I wonder if I saw you there. That sounds like the time that I went to a couple of those games. I would like to say, hey, I saw you play there, but I probably didn't. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I, yeah, it's, it's been a while now, but uh, I, a long time ago, uh, I would occasionally have a you know player bring like a signed baseball that they got when they were a little kid, and my signature would be on it or something, and they'd say, "I saw you playing," you know, and you know it was before you know when they were probably like five or six, they they went to a game, so it's it's funny when that happens sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's talk some pro sports. I mean, sure. we got everything going on right now. As COVID pushed stuff, and actually, you know, it's the beginning of July, so I guess the NBA Finals would probably be going on right now anyway. But today's game one of the Phoenix Suns-Milwaukee Bucks for the NBA championship. Who do you got in this race? 
Yeah, it should, it should be a good one. It, last I heard, Giannis might be playing. I think that has a lot to, to do with the Bucks' chances if he's playing or not. I know they were able to get by the Hawks, but I think the Suns are a different <laughs> different animal. They need him to be able to play. I think if they need him to be able to play, the Bucks the Bucks play style I like. I like three pointers, and I like shooting a lot of three pointers. And the Bucks have no problem shooting a lot of three pointers, and they'll do that. And they'll game six against the Hawks. They they were shooting terrible in the first half from three-point line, but they didn't let it phase them, and they, they knocked down a bunch in the second half, and, and, and I like teams that can shoot the three, so uh, if Giannis is healthy, and I don't know if he's going to play tonight or not, and even if he does, I don't know how effective it, he will be, uh, I think I'll take the Bucks. It's crazy that you said you like three-pointers and that the Bucks shoot a lot of threes, because a couple years ago, they were like one of the worst teams, or one of the teams that shot the three ball the least. Then you bring in Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton comes in and is a three-point monster. They got a Pat little guy. What's his name? Pat Connaughton. He is shooting phenomenally and just brought in these pieces to create a team around Giannis, and they've done a great job. Oh, they just spread it out. No, sometimes it probably drives, you know, old-school basketball people crazy when they see, you know, seven-foot, two Lopez out on the three-point line shooting threes. It's a good strategy, and if you got a team that can knock down a three, you've got a team that can always be in a game. I, I like the style that they play. Bobby Portis shooting threes. I remember watching him in the Chicago Bowl, like... He stepped out on the three-point line. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he made it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, boy, you developed a three. Right? I know. I know. It's just, you know, and, and shooting is so much about confidence as well. You have to shoot the ball with confidence. And if, if you at least shoot it with confidence, you, you put yourself in a better chance at making it. And who knows? Maybe with the Bulls, he didn't have that confidence and was scared to shoot it. But, but now he, he'll shoot it if, if he's open. I am actually going to go the other way, though. I'm going to go Phoenix okay. Suns. Chris Paul needs a ring. This is, I can't believe he's been in the league, I think, what, 16 seasons? Yeah, I think so. See, 16 or 17. I believe it's 16. This is his first trip to the finals. How is Chris Paul? I mean, he's the point guard. He's one of the best point guards to ever play in the NBA. This is his first finals. He needs a ring. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton playing great basketball. I'm going to go Suns. Okay, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. I think they're going to win game one tonight. I do think they're going to win game one. And because I think I saw something where the two times they played each other this season, it was like only a two or three point differential total. So it sounds like it's two really closely matched up teams. I'll be honest, I have not watched, I've watched some Bucks games. I've not watched near, I haven't watched hardly any Suns games. So so I don't know as much about the Suns, but, but obviously they must be good. And when you have Chris Paul and you have Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton uh, leading your team, you're, you're in pretty good shape. Their bench and their backup guys have been phenomenal too. Cam Johnson can play both sides of the ball really well. Jay Crowder has been playing well. Mikel Bridges has stepped up as a great defender and three-point shooter. I just think they're deeper than the Bucks because yeah. out of the, after the names that we've said, you know, Giannis, of course, Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Brooke Lopez, it kind of just fizzles out, and then they're just guys for the most part. You're right. You're, you're right. And they, they just have to play their role. And that's where I go back to the three-pointer, though. If, if they can at least knock down the three and you're starting to trade threes for twos, you're, you're going to win a lot of games even with some just guys. Like Forbes. <laughs> he can be a guy that yeah, shoots right? five out of five for three. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. I'm done arguing your point for the Bucks because that's what it sounded like I just did. 
big part of their their team holding down the fort till he got back. Hopefully, some of our high school kids see that too. Somebody who maybe had to struggle through a lot and really had some times where I'm sure he was doubting himself as an NBA player. But you never know when that chance might hit, and when that chance does hit, if you're prepared for it and take advantage of it, you are in great shape. He went from a guy that we thought was out of the league. Thank you for bringing up the Chicago Bulls as we bring up him and Bobby Portis, who both of them didn't really do much with the Bulls, move on, and now they're you know important to their teams. Thanks for Chicago for not keeping those guys. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. He goes from almost out of the league. I think he was out of the league. Goes to maybe he went overseas. He comes back, scores 29 points in a playoff game, and now he's a important part of the Phoenix Suns operation. Yeah, uh, like I said, you don't know when those opportunities are coming, and when they do come, take advantage of them. And and that's one of my favorite things I see about our high school kids, too, is when a kid does exactly that, who maybe isn't getting a lot of playing time, but working hard in practice and, and working to get better, and then he finally gets that opportunity and he takes advantage of it. That is one of my favorite moments. It's also baseball season. We're about in the middle of it, the heart of it. What's your team? Who do you roll with when it comes to baseball? I am a White Sox fan, so the White Sox are my team. They are in first place. They are super injured. I get that. Their starting lineup doesn't look anything like you thought it was going to be, but they are finding ways to win. They're going to hopefully be healthy by the end of the season and make a good run. I've always been a White Sox fan and uh, really hope that they can make a good, solid run this year after a solid year last year and, and see what they can do. Agreed. I mean, coming into this season, you know, Eloy and everybody around, obviously Jose Abreu, reigning AL MVP, just so many pieces. And then you're just watching them kind of like fall apart. You're like, oh, come on, just keep enough players for us to be competitive and win games. And somehow they're getting it done. They are. They're just finding ways. And and there's where, so, so now you're going to get the baseball part of me talking here, is where pitching is so key. You know, being a pitcher, it's, it is so important to have guys that can pitch and have guys that can throw strikes. If you have guys that can just throw strikes, you're going to be successful. And, and if you look at the pitching staff for the White Sox, they're throwing strikes. Besides Bill and Cease, they throw strikes. They pitch to contact. And, you know, when I coach my son's teams, I tell them the same thing. I say, just throw strikes, let them put it in play, because usually good things happen to you. And it's a good formula that a lot of teams have won with, just by good pitching, good defense, and then timely enough hitting, and, and you can win a lot of games that way. You just mentioned Dylan Cease. They should just eliminate him as a pitcher and have him back. That, right? Every time he plays in the National League, he's getting doubles and home runs, and you're right. <laughs> we don't need him to be a pitcher. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> With the injured lineup and, you know, putting the pieces together as they can and doing what they have to do, what do you think... You know, the future is for the White Sox this year and how far they can go with this battered lineup. If Eloy and Luis Robert can come back, that would be huge because then it's almost like you're getting some additions without trading for anybody. So hopefully hopefully they can come back. I was watching the game last night. Grandal got hurt, so who knows how long he's out for now. They got to just piece it together. They have to just hold down the fort. And then I'm going to bring up the same thing I've been bringing up a lot throughout this interview. Once you get to the postseason, you never know what's going to happen. So you just you have to get there. You have to give yourself that chance. And then who knows? I'm fairly confident they're going to get to the postseason. And then they just have to hopefully get some of these injured guys back. And the pitching needs to continue to stay strong. And 
and we go from there and hopefully you know we we can have a good celebration are you a white sox fan as well i am i actually claim both chicago teams i love chicago sports in general but i'm more of a Sox fan i met Frank Thomas when I was eight years old, and that was kind of the uh, dividing factor of why I would say sure. Sox over <laughs> Cubs, but yeah. Yes, and I am not one of those Cubs haters either that just sits there and talks bad about them, even though they have lost 10 games in a row, but, but besides that, <laughs> I, I am not a Cubs hater, um, but I'm definitely, my allegiances have always been with the White Sox. I mean, that kind of sounded like a little dig at the Cubs. Just oh, okay, okay. You, you know, you got to throw those jabs every now and then, though, right? <laughs> you got to, you got to. <laughs> It has been kind of rough watching Cubs games because, man, they got talent all over the field as well, but it's just not clicking. No, no. I, I mean, it's Brian, Avi Baez, Wilson Contreras, Anthony Rizzo. I mean, these are all-stars, and you've got four just right there with, off the top of my head, and I hope that they would be a little more competitive. And there's here's where things kind of flip, where I was, where I was talking about the White Sox and their great pitching. Yeah, I haven't watched a lot of Cubs games, but it looks like their pitching hasn't been the greatest either. They're not hitting that great, and their pitching has struggled too. It's tough to win games that way. Jake Arrieta looks like a shell of himself from the World (laughs) Series season. Yeah, I haven't seen him pitch at all this year, but I've seen some of his stat lines, and they they don't look good. I do want to go back to the injury that you were talking about last night. I was watching the game as well, and all he really did is he put his you know, weight on his foot to swing the bat, and then all of a sudden he's jumping around and falling to the ground. It had to have been re-aggravating the hamstring injury he had before. Right, and those are the scary ones when all of a sudden it's just something small, a small movement that a player does all the time, and they go down like that. I, those are the ones that always concern me the most because you're like, oh, something bad must have really happened for, for this grown elite athlete to go down like that. So hopefully it's nothing major. I haven't heard anything. Um, I don't know if the White Sox have said anything yet. Hopefully he won't be gone too long. With the All-Star break you know, coming, he'll get a few extra days and Hopefully he'll be back because while he hasn't been hitting a lot for average, he gets on base all the time, and that's the most important part. Yes, the most important. You can't score if you don't get on the back. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Well, Coach Joe Pikars, every guest on Edge of Your Seat Podcast, we have play a game now. I don't think we did this before. I hit episode 100, and I'm like, you know what? Let's make some change-ups, and let's find out some more about our guests. So we're going to do that. Today we're going to play... Now and then, where you pick your favorite player with a franchise now and of all time. Since we were talking about the NBA Finals, let's use those teams. Let's go Milwaukee Bucks and Phoenix Suns. Let's start with Milwaukee, your favorite player now and of all time. Okay, excellent. So my favorite player now on the Milwaukee Bucks would would have to be Giannis. I've admired the way his career has gone, going from like a skinny kid from Greece to to the player he is now. So I know that's the easy, obvious answer, but he is my favorite player now. All right. What about of all time? Of all time. So I have two. The first one, as you know, as I've talked about, I love the three-pointer. So it's hard for me not to have one of my favorite Bucks of all time to be Ray Allen because he is one of the best three-point shooters of all time and if you remember he started his career with the Bucks and was a very good shooter for for the Bucks so he was he is my number one favorite Buck my number two one when I was a kid I don't know why but for some reason 
one of my favorite players in college, and then he got drafted by the Bucks, was Glenn Robinson out of Purdue. The big and guy. I, the big dog, Glenn Robinson. And he was my favorite player when he played at Purdue. And when he got drafted by the Bucks, that was, uh, I loved the Bucks then because he was my favorite player. And he, he had an okay NBA career. I don't think it was quite as good as they had hoped because I believe he was the number one draft pick. But those would be my two favorite all-time players. I remember the trade that sent Ray Allen to the Seattle Supersonics and brought over Gary Payton. And I remember that trade and I'm like, I loved both players at that time. Gary Payton, besides Michael Jordan, is probably my favorite player in the 90s. Okay. And I remember that trade, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? How is Milwaukee going to score? How is Seattle going to stop anybody? Like, that was the first thing that crossed my uh -huh. mind as, like, a 13-year-old. That's funny. <laughs> but Ray Allen definitely had quite the nice career for himself. Oh, definitely, definitely. Jesus Shuttleworth. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just in case they don't catch my reference, He Got Game, great movie, yeah. featuring Ray Allen, a.k.a. Jesus Shuttleworth and Denzel Washington. If you've not seen it, you got to check it out. Yeah, what is that, from the 1990s, maybe early 2000s, somewhere right around I want to say it's 98. It's either 98 okay. or 99. All right. It's right in that, in that era right there. Sure. Let's move over to the Phoenix Suns, now and then. All right, now is Devin Booker. Yeah, we talked about him a little bit earlier. You know, good all-around player. Enjoyed watching him in college and have also enjoyed watching his trajectory go up. Uh, I don't even remember. What what pick was he in the draft? He was, he was you know, I think he was top 10, but he wasn't like top three, I don't believe. No, he um, wasn't. He was in the mid, I guess mid-lottery, we'll call it. Summer right around there, yeah. So, so it's always nice when you see guys like that who are just picked in the middle kind of rise to stardom like that. My favorite all-time Suns player probably has to be, so I go back, I'm thinking back to when the Suns were good in the 90s and they would play the Bulls. So they played the Bulls in the 93 finals. I think that was the last time that they were in the finals before this year, if I'm correct. It is. And, you know, they, they, they had Charles Barkley on that team and, and he was a good player and, and all that. But the one guy that always seemed, seemed to give the Bulls fits because of his shooting was Thunder Dan Marley and I always respected how he would just come out ready to shoot the basketball and make things happen so my all-time favorite Suns player is Thunder Dan as soon as you said Charles Barkley and then there was that little butt I'm like he's gonna <laughs> say Dan Marley yep <laughs> how can you not respect his game oh he was awesome he was a lot of fun to watch yes I felt like he was always knocking down threes against the Bulls, too. Always. It was like uh, he'd go to Chicago and that basketball hoop would become like a swimming pool. Yes. That was crazy. But you are correct. The Suns have been to the finals 93 and 76. This is their third okay. time and never won a ring. Okay. Yeah. So I thought, I thought it was uh, something like that. So they... I, I guess they're due, but but I, I definitely remember the last time they were in there because I remember watching in 93, so I've been about uh, 10 years old then. It was a good series against the Bulls. It was a very good series. I believe that was the John Paxson game-winning shot in Game 6. Yes. Yes, I believe so. I'm going back to my last dance uh, uh, <laughs> memories, too. All right, same here, same here. And if you were about 10, I was 7. Okay. I would have been eight in the 
fall of 93, so yeah, I was seven when they were playing. Nice. So we're starting to get old is pretty much what we just I know, right? There. I know. That, that, that's what this comes down to is we're, we're having all these memories and, you know, I'll talk to my high school kids about like, oh, you know, so-and-so, and they're like, who the heck is that? And I'm like, oh, you know, you don't even know this person, this former player? <laughs> that's when you know you're getting old. Yep, that's how that goes. <laughs> well, Coach Cars, thank you very much for joining Edge of Your Seat Podcast. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. And we kind of talked about a little bit everything, your career with Indian Creek, your future at Marmion Academy, some NBA, some MLB. Thank you very much for spending some time with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always um, enjoy your podcasts. I enjoy being on them. I uh, enjoy talking high school sports. I enjoy talking NBA, whatever. And appreciate you having me on so I could talk a little bit about Indian Creek and, and relive some of the great things there and then also talk about the, the great things that are about to happen at Marmion and some of the things that are going to happen there. So really, really looking forward to it, and I appreciate you having me on.